1: It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of
2: the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us.
0: Good morning. You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. That's brought to you well, actually, I already said it's from FreeCR, um, but we're brought to you by FreeCR, 855 AM on your dial. And um, yeah, we're very happy to be back um, live to air.
3: Yeah, it's good to be back.
0: Yeah, some of our listeners uh, were probably aware from last week that we had a bit of a collection of pre-recorded kind of content. And the reason why we did for last week's program, as we sort of announced there, was we are all at... The people's blockade of Newcastle, um, that took place, uh, last weekend in Newcastle. In fact, yeah, pretty much every presenter, Mm. (laughs) uh, was there. And, um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to be interviewing one of the organizers of rising tide later on, where we actually have a bit of a a opportunity to kind of debrief on how the blockade went. But yeah, to start off, I mean, yeah, it was very much a, a great, um, a great experience.
3: Yeah. But before we begin the show, is my mic on? Yeah. yeah um, before we begin the show, 3CR is being broadcast from the land of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation, and we respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners, caretakers, and custodians of this land. This land was stolen. It was taken by brute force, and sovereignty was never ceded. And we join in solidarity with First Nations people's struggle for justice. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And thank you for joining us.
0: All right. Well, just to give you a bit of a rundown of what we have planned for this week's program, we're going to be starting off... We'll start off... We'll go through some headline news stories, and there's actually quite a lot that has happened in this uh, past week that we want to report on. In fact, we won't even get a chance to really report on everything that has happened. But in terms of the interviews and discussions that we have planned... Uh, we're going to be speaking first up with Sue Bolton, Marybeck Councillor, and we're going to be talking about the upcoming National Day of Action for Housing, which is going to be taking place on December the 9th. Now, one of the focuses of this protest is about opposing uh, the sell-offs and privatisation of more than 44 public housing estates, which is very much one of the biggest attacks on public housing, and so Sue will kind of unpack that, but also will... Present a good case on why you should attend the National Day of Action of Housing for um, for Housing on December the 9th. Then we're going to be speaking to Alexa Stewart. Um, Alexa is an organizer of Rising Tide, and you know she was actually one of the kind of main kind of media spokespersons and one of the main organizers for the whole blockade. And um, yeah, we're going to be talk we're going to be having a bit of a discussion to talk to have a bit of a debrief on the success of the Rising Tide blockade and I guess what's kind of happening next. And then we're going to be speaking um, at eight ten a.m. We're going to be speaking to Fahima, who is a Malay Muslim woman living on the unceded lands of the Burigal people in southeast um, Sydney. She is a registered architect and is currently working as a client organizer with Move Beyond Coal. She was
3: also at the blockade.
0: Yeah, she right. was also at the blockade as well. And um, I guess one of the discussions we're going to have about her with her is actually talking, having a bit of a, a yeah, probably a brief discussion, but won't be the last of the discussions that we'll have about, you know, why climate justice campaigners have to get behind uh supporting Palestine. Okay, so maybe I'll go a bit, I'll go, I guess I'll kind of start off um, with um, a headline news story. Now, probably one of the, one of those moments where there's actually, it, it feels like, uh, it was actually a kind of news story that was actually it was actually welcoming to get on my ABC notifications on my phone. <laughs> was um yeah, actually find, was getting hearing the news that Henry Kissinger has finally kind of passed away. Wow. Um He lived up to uh, over a hundred kind of years. Now a lot of people on the left would know about Henry Kissinger.
3: They're, they're celebrating.
0: In fact, yeah, they would be in a sense. One of the reasons why that would be the case was Harry Kinsinger was essentially, despite the fact that he won the Nobel Peace Prize, which it kind of says everything about, um, the use, um, about how valid, uh, that award is, he was very much a warmonger. He was very much, Harry Kissinger essentially represents the face of everything that oppressed people of all over the world, um, hate about, um, Western imperialism. He was, you know, he he ha, ha played a major role in a lot of uh, in the killings and the destruction of of so many uh, of so many lives. But I think, yeah, Chloe wanted to sort of talk about a bit, talk a bit briefly about his sort of Shrek record.
3: Oh well, maybe you can. Um, I just wanted to talk about the fact that, well, yeah, you're right. He played a role in some of the most heinous crimes committed against humanity since the Second World War, but. Um, one thing, um, that he did, well, the day, the day after the September 11th, um, terrorist attacks on New York and Washington, um, he said, he demanded that the US government destroy the network of whoever committed the crimes, even though he had no idea, um, who it was. Um, but yeah, one thing I just wanted to highlight was that Kissinger was, was involved in a, in the, 1970 plot to prevent Salvador Allende from becoming Chile's president. Now he wasn't able to. In in um in 1970, the CEI sent a cable into its office into the into its office in Chile, instructing agents there to continue to ferment a military coup. And at the time, Kissinger was um. um was the U.S. President Richard Nixon's national security advisor, but they weren't, those right-wing plotters, the CIA, they weren't able to actually prevent Allende, um, uh, who had won the September 1970 presidential election from taking office, but they did kill the Army Chief General, René Schneider, and the family of the general, um, the Chilean General um, actually sued, or I think t- tried to sue him for um, Kissinger for for his role in the murder, um, and of course Chile recently did. The reason I wanted to make a big, um, you know, I wanted to talk about this is because Chile just recently commemorated 50 years since the brutal military coup detat in in Chile in 1973. But there were other, um, yeah. He he has a, a, a terrible record. Um, Yeah, and he, he was responsible for prolonging the, the Vietnam war, but I think, yeah, we could, we could go on about his terrible track record. Hmm. He lived till a hundred.
0: Well, I think it's actually, it is worth just, um, making that kind of point. I mean, very much his worst kind of crimes was because he played a, a very direct involvement and an advisor to the, um, to the United, the, the United States president. Um, he, I mean, he pretty much signed off on bombing raids in Laos and Cambodia, which, Actually is essentially responsible for the destruction that Cambodia is still dealing with. Um, and in fact, uh, and in fact, he's also was directly responsible for, uh, helping the genocidal Kumar Rouge, um, seize power in Cambodia. So there's all, yeah, those are some of the, the worst, some of his worst sort of crimes. And I guess mm-hmm. one of the other things about, about Henry Kissinger that I think is kind of worth pointing out, was, he very much kind of justified a lot of his actions, not on this sort of so-called kind of genocidal intent. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of terrible people in the world that, you know, justify a lot of their atrocities on the basis of a certain genocidal intent, whether it's motivated by racism, etc. But Henry Kessinger was quite, um, was reflective of a kind of mentality of, United States imperialism that kind of ju- made a lot of justifications for the, for, for, um, for these foreign policy decisions on the basis of advancing the United States interests, but also on the basis of – it's almost like a colonial imperialist idea of the United States, you know, is the most rational, it's the most liberal, democratic kind of um, state um, – our values are the ones that deserve to be dominant. If we if we're not if we don't take these actions, um, you know, we we're um, then U.S. interests are threatened. And of course, they'll they'll make the argument of you know, you know, people will, more people will die, more authoritarian regimes will will, will take over, like the communists, etc. So Henry Kissinger would make or. He would often justify all his politic um, all these sort of political decisions under that on that sort of basis of self interest and I think you know that is still very much part of the ideology of the united states it 's very much part of the ideology of western imperialism and in fact it is very much one of those things that is is, is like one of those things that the West attempts to justify you know the israel 's genocide of of Palestinians on this basis that we are You know, Israel is more enlightened. It represents Western liberal democratic values and and so on. But of course, we all know that's as left wing people. We all know that is a lie, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's important to note that Henry Kissinger was very much, he embodied that entire idea, um, in, in his legacy. And I think, you know, and I think that's, um, that's why I think, you know, a lot of left wing people and, and, and oppressed people all over the world would see his death as a welcoming, a welcoming development in the context of, Everything, all the terrible things that are happening in the world right now. Now, I will just go. I will just make a go brief comment. I'll just give uh, the latest update on what's happening in um, in Israel and Palestine. Now, many of our listeners have probably been following quite closely, but um, Hamas and and um, the um, the state of Israel have just agreed to extend the truce, the temporary ceasefire, for a seventh day. Now, what what I just find, I just want to make one kind of quick point about this. I mean, just following the 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 hostage exchange that's currently happening right now, what has been quite fascinating is, I mean, I think there is there is there has been a certain power that has that the movement has brought about this sort of outcome. This is not this is not a ceasefire in in real world terms. Israel has already announced, you know, it's its intentions to continue the genocide of Palestinians but and continue the bombing. But I guess what has been sort of fascinating in terms of what has sort of come out of these hostage sort of exchanges now I think it would be quite important to note that while in the media they're referring to the Palestinians that are being um that are being um that are being released into the custody of um They refer to but them as prisoners. They referred to them as prisoners. But in real and while and they referred to um, the people kidnapped by Hamas as hostages, hostages now yeah, yeah i 'm not saying that they 're not legitimate hostages, <laughs> etc, but I think we also have to be clear that, as supporters of Palestine, all those Palestinian prisoners are in a sense hostages by 3, 000, um, by the 3, 000, by the israel
3: october seventh
0: uh, by the israeli state and I think what has been quite apparent from reading all the kind of news stories about the hostage exchanges, etc, between Israel and Hamas is it 's quite clear and apparent to me that you know whatever criticisms you can make from the left of uh, of Hamas's sort of um political ideology Hamas clearly is <laughs> treats its prisoners yeah. better than what um than what um than what Israel does um so
3: And a lot of the host- the so-called host- well you know they are hostages the hostages have been killed by Israeli
0: airstrikes mm. So there's actually been reports of Israeli hostages who have been killed by airstrikes now One of the, just one important thing to sort of note is most of the hostages that have been released by Hamas have been civilians Mm -hmm. and they're still holding on to uh, a number of hostages who are actually part, probably have very strong links to the Israeli military. And so they're not going to, they're not going to be let go of that easily. So just from the perspective of looking at this from the news sort of perspective, um, that's possibly going to be the the means by which Israel justifies its pro, um the prolonged war but at the end of the day i mean Israel's intentions are quite clear it wants to wipe out the state uh, of Palestine but i guess the the important role that left wing people like us have to do is we have to be there on the streets protesting um that's the only thing that is going to stop um stop Israel um, it's gonna be global, it's gonna be a global movement that can, um, that stands up at it, especially in the context of the fact that, oh, sorry, um, especially in the context of the fact that, um, Israel's actions are enabled by all these Western liberal democratic states. But anyway, I'll just go co-play a quick announcement. Actually, I'll play announcement announcing the upcoming rally on Sunday, and then we'll go on to our first interview for the program. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war. Stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm State Library this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. right you're listening to green left radio on free cr 855 a.m and we're very happy to be joined today by Sue Bolton, uh, who is a Merribeck councillor and is actually also a member of Social Alliance and an activist who is currently involved in organising the upcoming National Day of Action for Housing, which is going to be taking place next Saturday. So yeah, we thought we'd have, um, Sue on the program to actually talk a bit about this upcoming National Day of Housing and I guess why people, co- um, should support it. So, um, good morning, Sue.
4: Hi, how's it going?
0: So, I guess one thing to kind of start, I mean, to start off is, I mean, obviously probably what I'm going to ask sort of is sort of like common sort of knowledge, but I guess I want to sort of, I want to kind of hear some um, some brief comments from you about, you know, what has been the kind of impacts of the housing crisis, because... While the media has also, um, while the media has kind of been dominated by news around, um, around Palestine and, and other, and other kind of very important issues as well. But I guess one of the things is the housing crisis, which was actually a big feature of politics in like the past year has almost not necessarily been reported on as much. And I guess that's why this rally is going to be quite important next Saturday. So I want to hear, hear about some of your brief comments about the impacts on the housing crisis for working people.
4: Well, I think it just keeps going from disastrous to more more disastrous. Um, So, I mean, I think there are still stories in the media about, you know, people who, you know, people who are full-time workers, people who never would have been homeless 10 or 20 years ago, um, who are homeless or buying a a van um, because they can't find housing. Um, that's affordable and lots of stories of people who are having their their rent increase not by $5 or $10 a week, but $100 a week in one hit. And there's still no rent capping, nothing to stop landlords' profit gouging. Um, A lot of landlords are increasing rent way above inflation just because they can get away with it. Um, and and that is absolutely criminal. Um, so it's, um, it's really critical that we do something about this whole issue, especially of rent capping. Um, but then also we've got governments around the country being led by Victoria, which are basically trying to destroy public housing which will make the situation so much worse.
0: Um Sue, uh, I'll just interrupt you there because that was going that's going into sort of the kind of next kind of question. Um yeah. I guess the, the that the the um in the the one of the big one of the big focuses of this National Day of Action in Melbourne, at least in uh, Melbourne, is that we're having we're seeing one of the biggest attacks on public housing um right now in our state. It was sort of like the last kind of announcement by our former premier Daniel Andrews, before he passed on the baton to uh, Jacinta Allen. and this sell-off is going to involve, you know, the destruction of more, I think, more than forty-two to or forty-four public housing states by the Victorian Labor government. I guess, what can you tell us about uh, about what um, about that, and in, in greater detail, as a background for our listeners, and I guess, what, make it in terms of the biggest sort of motivation on why people should attend the National Day of Action next Saturday. Well,
4: I think this is critical because. I think this is a death knell to public housing if the government gets away with this. So basically, the announcement by Andrew the Andrews government before, and Daniel Andrews, just before leaving, um, resigning as Premier, was that the government is going to demolish all 44 high rise public housing estates. Um, so this includes the uh, Flats in Flemington, flats in Collingwood, flats in North Melbourne, but there are also some flats in St Kilda and Footscray and Brunswick and elsewhere, but they're mostly in the inner city areas, Fitzroy, Collingwood, Richmond, Flemington, Kensington, North Melbourne. Um, There are 44 huge estates. So everyone in those estates will be forced out of their homes, some have been in their homes for many, many years and there are elderly people there who have lived there for decades. This is their home, this is their community, this is where they've got all their social supports and so forth. Um, so it will be massively dis- dislocating. It will, well, in the case of elderly people, it actually has an impact on... People's memory um, and so forth, laying down new memories in new places. It can. uh, There is some research which indicates that forcible relocation can take years off someone's life. And so currently, what's happening is Homes Victoria is um, going around bullying people to indicate that to try and give people the impression they've got no choice; they just have to leave. But we had a. meeting with tenants in the Flemington Estate last Saturday and where they voted, they clearly people did not want to leave. Some were feeling like they were being bullied and harassed into agreeing to leave and some feeling that they've been given no choice but to leave. But they voted against, unanimously against being forced to leave, against the demolition of of the estate's, And they want to save their homes, save the estates. So we've got the beginnings of a fight back. Um, we've, but we need the whole community to come together to support the tenants so that they can withstand the bullying from Homes Victoria and so that they can feel supported, um, in their decisions to fight for their homes. And that's really, that's one of the key reasons why we want absolutely everybody to come to our Housing National Day of Action on Saturday the 9th of December, which will be at 1 o'clock at State Library. Um, so, yeah, I'd really encourage people to come because we we actually need to fight this. And the government is trying to create the impression that all of these high-rise towers are um, past their use by date. That's the language they're using And so people, some people are just accepting, oh, okay, there's nothing that can be done. And sure, there are some, there are maintenance issues and so forth with the towers. But the, there is another way and there are architects in Melbourne and architects in France who've demonstrated that there are other ways of doing things and some architects in France who've uh, refurbished um, high-rise towers uh, instead and, and persuaded the government there not to demolish them but these are public housing estates high-rise public housing estates what they've been doing is refurbishing a flat at a time so that people just have to move out for a few days while their flat is being refurbished and they've even done things like added balconies and um, and really um, made light and made flats light and airy so they've you know refurbished um, and you know kept the flats in you know and they've been able to keep the flats keep the communities together and just and you know do some renovations for the flats so that's really the alternative we want to see where if flats need to be refurbished, they just get get that individual flat gets refurbished or maybe a floor might get refurbished but not the entire estate demolished. So um, if just a floor is refurbished, then it might take a, few, a couple of months or three months or something, not, you know, five, six, seven years. And we know that the estates will be... Um, We know that the estates are going to be turned into majority private housing after the redevelopment. So then it's not, and there's no guarantee it will be public housing. So what they're guaranteeing is a third of the dwellings will be social housing, but the government has still not not committed to saying that, it will be public housing. Hmm. It's unclear whether it will be public housing or community housing, uh, especially when the government is trying to bully the existing uh, tenants of uh, high-rise flats into accepting community housing when Hmm. people don't have the same rights.
0: Yeah. So, um, actually, I wanted to kind of ask a bit about that because I guess one of the important parts around this This rally and this campaign is about putting the kind of, putting this kind of question of public housing on the map because one of the thing, one of the justifications that the Labour government is giving for, um, for this refurbishment. And I guess is that, you know, they're basically sort of trying to, you know, you've, you've mentioned kind of all the arguments, but I guess how can we kind of, why is it kind of important to support general and public housing why is public housing better than say what this new term is which is community housing and of course there's also they've also been trying to use uh the term social housing now the thing about social housing is you know it's one of those tricky terms because social housing technically if you're going to its basic sort of definition encompasses both public housing and community housing but the problem is when the government is taught using the term social housing in reality it's sort of like they're saying yeah Um, when they're saying, yes, we're, we're announcing the building of 20,000 new, new social housing estates, what they actually mean is, well, 80% or 90% of those are going to be community housing and 10% is going to be public housing. Like, so how do you, why do you think it's very important that, you know, the, the campaign needs to fight for genuine 100% public housing? I think it's very important because if it's public housing,
4: then it's owned by the government. Um, it's it's not in the hands of a private organisation, whether it's a um, community housing association or a private developer. Um, if it's public housing, it's publicly owned. And uh, we need to fight for it to continue to be publicly managed because that's one of the things governments are trying to do is get rid of public management of Public housing um, but to go back to your central point people have less rights in community housing um, community housing is in a like nowadays a lot of community housing associations treat tenants not much different to what um, what private landlords do um, and and but there are also some important rights you have in public housing that you don't have in community housing. To begin with, you pay 30% of your income in rent in community housing compared with 25% of your income in rent in public housing. Um, you have to pay for your own uh, accessibility uh, modifications so that if, you're, um, if you end up... In a wheelchair or having some, needing some, or even just elderly and needing, you know, those sort of handrails and modifications to your shower and that kind of thing. Um, in public housing, that's paid for by the government. In community housing, you have to pay for that yourself. And so there are some terrible stories of people who haven't been able to Walk upstairs to their kitchen or or do certain things who've been living in terrible circumstances because they've got um, an accessibility requirement and they can't afford to pay for um, accessibility disability modifications themselves um, in in community housing. In community housing, you can be well, firstly, community housing, accepts very few vulnerable people. They prefer people who are working full-time or part-time who can pay a higher amount of rent, including market rent. So they tend to house very few people who are vulnerable, such as people who've recently been homeless or living on the street or in their cars. They house very few people on Centrelink payments. And they house pretty much no-one who's on a youth allowance payment. Um, and that's because they uh, want to get... They need... Their funding model is that that they need to get a, high, a reasonable proportion of people paying market rent so they don't house according to needs. They get to pick and choose who they'll house. And so sometimes people who do have some challenging behaviours or um, mental illness issues um, are not housed by community housing and so it was in public housing they can't discriminate about who they house. Um, Community housing can discriminate about who gets housed Um, and then often um, community housing you know is often no better than public housing in terms of basic maintenance. Um, So yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a downgrade and it's not controlled by the government anymore, even though a lot of community housing initially had public housing transferred to them for free initially. Um, so, and now community housing organisations are amalgamating with each other and becoming bigger and bigger. So they're operating much more like a private business now than, than when they started off. So it's definitely, um, you know, the public doesn't have control over community housing um, once it's set up. Um, so, you know, we want public housing. That's the only guarantee that you can have it uh, as public housing in perpetuity is if it remains as public housing. Hmm.
0: All right. Well, um, I want to hear a bit about the... Um, we, we might finish off by hearing about the details for the National Day of Action in uh, Melbourne, but I guess... One other sort of demand that the rally is in, um sort of doing in terms of trying to bring together all the what I guess I want to kind of hear you know for, especially for renters you know why is it important for for people who are renters um or mortgage holders to actually support um saving public housing because ultimately this is a rally that's trying to unite all the people that are impacted by the housing crisis.
4: Well, I think we need a whole of community response to save public housing, and it has an impact on everything else. Like, the more public housing they get rid of, the more people are reliant on either saving to buy housing or um, reliant on the private rental market. Um, having a la- large amount of public housing actually starts to force prices of housing down um, and it would make it harder for landlords in the private sector to just keep jacking up the rent. Uh, But to do that, we need not only to save the existing public housing, but we need to extend the public housing. Um, So there is an old slogan about defending and extending public housing. This is... um, this is a social good. Um, we need to expand rapidly expand the amount that the government pays for public ho- to build public housing to try and restrict um, private landlords in being able to increase their rents and restrict the ever escalating cost of buying housing. and I think a large amount of public housing Puts a, um, a lid um, on prices in the private market, and the, what, the key reason why we've got the housing crisis that we've got is because governments all over Australia have been following the neoliberal model and selling off um, selling off public housing. Um, selling off massive amounts of public housing. So that's really why we're in the housing crisis we're in. Um, At a certain point in time, it was probably in the 1980s when neoliberalism became the vogue, that governments decided to stop providing services and sell them off to the private market. And for certain things that they thought the public wouldn't accept a direct sell-off, such as public housing or... um, job providers or or certain sorts of things, they decided to do this tricky way of transferring them um, to not-for-profit providers. And um, hence we've got these, you know, private job providers that do nothing and treat people terribly, but we've also got housing associations that are also supposedly not-for-profit and in most cases treat tenants really badly so um, and that's what's brought us such a huge crisis with the cost of housing in the private market they decide to leave people to the victims of the private market so Australia even if if you include community housing, Australia has less than 4% or only around 4% social housing, Victoria has got only around 2% public housing now, whereas it used to be much, much higher. It used to be over 10% um, 20 years ago or so before this process started. Um, and so that is the real cause of our housing crisis and that's what we've got to reverse. And the governments don't want to reverse that because they're still in the privatisation mode of Governments getting out of providing, um, direct government services. And so we can see privatisation all over the place, including nibbling away at our public hospital system. Um, so that's what they, that's what the government's focused on. But we actually need to fight back and say privatisation is wrong. It leaves people vulnerable and that's what's caused the housing crisis. Um, you can't have Housing will never be affordable while it's just left to the capitalist market, where developers can land bank, um, and landlords can just have total free will to increase and, um, rents as high as they like.
0: Hmm. Well, thanks for that, Sue. Um, just one last, um, I'm just going to give us details about the upcoming National Day of Action.
4: So we've got a rally on the um ninth Saturday, the ninth of um of December, so not tomorrow but the following Saturday. Um it's at one o'clock at State Library and if anyone listening is able to help with um doing some leafleting, doing some publicity poster runs, um please, please contact us. Um, it's being organised by the Safe Public Housing Collective in Melbourne, and I'm part of that collective. Actually, Jacob, uh, the presenter, is also part of that collective as well. And we're really at the early stages, but the three estates that are first on the target list to go are um, two estates in Flemington and one North Melbourne estate. So, uh, like, people... On the estates are terrified about their future, about what's going to happen to them, and they really want support to save the public housing estates, save the high-rise flats. So please let us know if you can help us out with any last-minute publicity, um, poster runs, leafleting, um, or if you want us to email you or um, social message, social media. Um, you the, um, the details, the advertising for the rally
0: Alright, well thank you very much um, Sue and yeah, just want to make a plug that yeah, I think people should definitely attend the National Day of um, Action for Public Housing and um, yeah, thank you Sue for being on our program
4: And maybe people can contact Green Left Radio if you can help with doing any publicity for the Day of Action, that would be really appreciated
0: Alright, thanks for that Sue
4: Thanks all
0: right. Okay, we're just speaking to um, Sue Bolton, Mary Beck councillor and um, activist with Save Public Housing. Um, I'm just going to go play a quick announcement and we might go on to our first song for the program. You're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them.
3: This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved.
0: Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance.
3: Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover
0: Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. And, um, I'll just go, we're going to go play a quick song. Um, so I thought I'd play, uh, this is actually from, uh, a BDS mixtape, which is actually collecting tracks and songs from various artists who all support, um, Palestine and the boycott, divestment, sanctions campaign that has been initiated, that was, that has been initiated by, um, Palestine and the Palestinian liberation movement. Um, so where this is, uh, Rupa and the April Fishes by, um, and it's, the song is titled Stolen Land. Um, Rupa and the April Fishers is a global alternative group based in San Francisco, California, and it's funded by composer, singer, and guitarist Rupa Morao. So yep, yeah, I hope, um, listeners enjoy, and it's also part of the, it's also part of the roundup of, um by Matt Ward, who um, published his Looking for 2023's Best Protest Music, here at um, 10 albums, and that was just published um, just actually a few days ago on, on the Green Left website. So, yeah, hope listeners enjoy. Uh, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM.
2: Through the redwood trees Take a walk with me Through the redwood trees A thousand years or more Oh, what they have seen Like grizzlies sitting here Just taking in the view While the wind whispers songs The lonely new Watch the water come down From the peaks to the bay, carrying the memory of another way. steps walked here, whose words will I never hear, whose baby was born through the blood and tears, falling to the ground, silent in the shadows of sound, waiting to be This is how
0: All right. You're just listening to Rupa and the April Fishes, and this song was titled Stolen Land. Now, it is actually about time to get to our next interview for the program. I'm just going to play a quick announcement. Uh, You are listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest
4: 3 cr is a bloody good place to start. What is, we got the
5: hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers
0: All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR, um 855 AM. And we are, um, we're very happy to be joined today by Alexa Stewart, um, from Rising Tide, uh, Newcastle. Uh, Alexa was actually one of the key organizers for the people's blockade, um, of the Newcastle port that happened actually in the past weekend, uh, that both me and, uh, my fellow presenter Chloe were also at. Um, so yeah, we have Alexa on to actually have a bit of a debrief on, um, how the blockade went and, you know, what is Rising Tide's plans for next year um and so on so yeah good morning alexa good
6: morning alexa morning thanks
0: for having me yeah so i guess i want to kind of hear let's start off by i want to hear some of your even some of your personal reflections i guess on the blockade and how it went and in fact um rising tide has been actually describing it as one of the biggest acts of civil disobedience for client action or maybe the biggest um in australian history and yeah what can you what can you tell us to, to start off with
6: Yeah, um, absolutely. We think that with the amount of arrests that we got and and the scale of disruption um, that happened in the protest, that it would have been the biggest act of civil disobedience for climate in Australia's history. Um, We ended up blockading the Newcastle coal port, which is the world's largest coal port, um, for 32 hours, which... um, was, is very unprecedented. This is um, about the 12th time that an event like this, a blockade of the Newcastle Colport, has occurred. Um, but every other year, it's only been for one day, a few hours. Um, and so, yeah, this scale was quite unprecedented. And then the whole event wrapped up with 109 people getting arrested um, for continuing to blockade the port after our... Um, Police approval expired Um, and, yeah, that mass arrest was um, pretty incredible and I think a really strong show of people's concern about the climate crisis and and their level of commitment.
3: Yeah. um, Hi, Alexa. Chloe here. Firstly, congratulations on pulling off such an excellent um, four-day Blockade. Um, uh, well, actually, no, thirty-hour blockade. But there was a lot of first with this blockade. Like for people who don't know, it was the first time there were night flotillas. I mean, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. And we were all so excited to be part of this mass action. We had a lot of fun as well. Um, can you? Would you be able to tell us a bit about the media response to the blockade and what what um, was the message that you? Uh, Rising Tide were trying to send through the blockade.
6: Yeah, um, I think that that element of fun that you just mentioned was really important. Mm -hmm. It was a big festival atmosphere there. There was um, music and fun things happening at the beach and colour and... um, You know, there was pancakes and tea being made on the pontoons overnight. And I think that um, sense of fun really helped our story. And uh, the media response was incredible. We made um, international news. It was translated into 15 languages. Um, We were on the major, all of the major TV channels for two nights in a row, a lot of them three nights in a row. Um, and and I think, you know, the the response to this and the story that was being told was really strongly one of of just everyday concerned citizens that were incredibly diverse because we had people from aged fifteen to ninety seven, um, yeah. So just a just a group of really concerned. Diverse citizens who were, were doing something extraordinary to to reflect the extraordinary times that we live in, and I think that came across really strongly. And as did our our call for the government to um, to stop approving new coal and gas projects and to um, start taxing coal export profits by seventy five percent to fund the transition
0: yeah and um i think one thing um i'll just make a bit of a comment and um you can kind of respond to it as well but one of the things um as someone who was sort of following um who was actually because i was part me both me and chloe were kind of part of um the kind of continu- um, the organizing contingent for trying to build uh build attendance for the nam contingent of the of the blockade but one thing that was sort of quite apparent um in the lead up was in um um From the main central organisers, um, which you were part of, um, Alexa, we hadn't actually... I'm pretty sure that if this... You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that we didn't even receive that official permission... Um, to mm-hmm. blockade until Tuesday, um, like, which before yeah. the, before the actual blockade. And I kind of remember for a, a lot of our Melbourne people, a lot of our Melbourne people were like concerned about, oh, where, where we're we going to stay, et cetera. And, you know, my viewpoint was like, oh, well, we're just going to be, we're just got to be prepared to camp and see how we go. And, um, but I think it was quite incredible, um, that, uh, that um, that we, we got official permission from the police, but I guess also the fact that Rising Tide was committed to just the committing this kind of act of civil disobedience, um, I think was kind of uh, indicates the kind of strength of of the movement behind Rising Tide. And I guess um, before I go into kind of the um, the last question, I, I just want to sort of hear some of your thoughts on that because. I think you know. I think there was a comment made by, I think, a police commissioner or someone that you know, giving a bit of support for the protests. Yeah, and I guess yeah. what does that kind of say about you know the actual broad support uh, that climate action um, has? Because I think you know, one of the arguments that uh, a lot of people, um, that politicians often like to make is they sort of try to make this case that ordinary people don't actually want climate, um, don't want climate action, but it's quite clear that. Lots of pe- um, the majority of people do want to see serious client action from the government.
6: Yeah, absolutely. It was um, an unprecedented uh, protest that we got approved. We we started negotiations with police months ago, and we asked for this incredibly bold um, ask of thirty hours of blockading the Newcastle Cold War as well as four days of camping in in the centre of Newcastle on public land where usually camping is illegal. And so I think um, right from the beginning we had billed this as the largest civil disobedience for climate in Australia's history. We'd said that we were going to blockade the port for 30 hours and I think the police knew that that was our intention and that if they didn't give us approval, we would still do that. We would just do it in an illegal way. And so I think... That element, as well as just the the yes yeah, scale and the diversity of the people involved, you know, we had the um, Lord Mayor of Sydney come out and support it in the in the lead up to the event. Um, so all of that just combines to make it it um, really the easiest thing for the police to do was to just give us our our protest and then yeah, um, just a few days before the event happened, the New South Wales um, Police minister came out saying that she applauded the protest, which um, I think was, again, just incredible. And, yeah, showed showed that when you can get mass numbers of people involved in, in protests like this that you're at, the, the Australian public really gets behind you and um, you just see support coming from places that you don't always expect. Yeah,
3: Alexa... Thank you so much for joining us on the show. The blockade was so uplifting, and thank you for all your hard work and and everyone else at Rising Tide and Tipping Point and School Strike for Climate. Um, There's so many groups um, that were involved, and and for raising consciousness for a mass action approach. And, Mm. you know, we we met a lot of – there were so many different climate groups there that – Reunited, um, people came together from all over Australia, all committed to serious climate action. And there were also lots of new people, young people, and also old, old people as well. Was was it, um, was it your grand, grandpa who was the one that was probably the oldest person that got arrested at 97?
6: Yeah, 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 my grandfather, Reverend Alan Stewart, um, at 97 got arrested and I think his story resonated with so many people um he was headlining international stories about the protest and um yeah we, we were all so proud of him
3: yeah, he got a big cheer when um he was released out of custody because um a lot of the the arrestees, we were all standing there and um yeah showing support so that even that part was so much fun um mm. even though it is you know um you know it might have been you know, uh, for people to get arrested might have been scary, but we were actually all there to support them. So it was actually like kind of a fun <laughs> – we made it fun for them. Um, yeah. So uh, just to wrap up um, – sorry, Jacob, did you ask the last question we were going to ask about
0: – Not yet. Oh. We want to ask a question about right. next year.
3: Yeah. I'll I'll, I'll leave that to, to oh, you.
0: Okay. All right. So the final question we want to kind of ask is um, – you know to conclude the interview, what are the plans for rising tide next year? And I guess for those who weren't able to attend this year, why what, what's the case for why they should attend um, they come along to next year um, to next year's blockade? Yeah,
6: I think um, one of the things that just excites me the most about the blockade is that it truly is just the beginning for us and, and we have massive plans for next year. Um, we're at the moment on track to, we're doubling our numbers every three months. So Rising Tide only relaunched um, November last year, so it only existed for for just over a year now and um, our growth rate is, is very fast. So we're expecting that next year we will be able to get 10,000 people back in Newcastle, blockading the Newcastle Coldport for 10 days. So that is going to be absolutely massive and and that's when we're going to hopefully be able to launch the second phase of of our campaign. At the moment, we're still in the build-up phase where we're building our numbers and our strength. And then once we hit critical mass, which for us means about 10,000 people, um, we're going to launch into sustained ways of civil resistance which will materially disrupt the fossil fuel industry and the new fossil coal port. So that's the big vision for next year and in the meantime um, we've got plans for training uh, happening in um, February which will be happening all around the country including uh, in Narm and then as well in in mid-year having a big tour that goes around the East Coast um, with, hopefully, a hundred or two folks in a in a convoy filling town halls and, and having actions at, at key targets. And I think that will be a really powerful way of, of building this story and of showing that we are serious about this and we are not going to go away until our government starts listening. So if people want to join the movement, we've got the Climate Defence Pledge on our website, risingtide.org.au slash pledge. um, And you can take the pledge to commit to join or actively support this rapidly growing movement.
0: Alright, well, thank you very much, um, Alexa, and I think, yeah, all the best, um, for, you know, next year's blockade, and I think, you know, Green Left Radio and, uh, us ourselves as in are definitely going to be, uh, supporting, it. and we're going to hope, uh, hopefully, be, um, will be part of help, uh, helping build it as well.
3: Incredible. Thank you guys. Thanks, Alexa.
0: Bye.
3: We're definitely going to the next one, so I hope listeners, um, feel inspired to support the next blockade in Newcastle.
0: All right. Well, you just we're just um, um, speaking to Alexa Stewart from Rising Tide. Um, we're just going to go play a quick announcement, and I think it's actually time to go into the Green Left Actress Calendar. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR, 855 AM. a uh, logging operation. Any person found within this coop is offending. Can they please leave? You're allowed no closer than the bridge down the track there. Any person that's found in the coop will be arrested and charged. (laughs) I direct that you all leave now.
1: Gecko's turning 30 and
0: we're having a party. The Goongra Environment Centre has been fighting to protect East Gippslands Forest since 1993 and we want a party with you. There'll be music, performances,
1: food, drink, old friends and new friends. What better way to celebrate the end of native forest logging in Victoria? From December 1st to the 3rd in Goongra, East Gippsland. To find out more, go to gecko.org.au.
2: Gecko, 30 years fighting for forests. Get down to the party. Celebrate with us. A 3CR supporter.
0: All right. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Now, just one thing I forgot to give a bit of a plug for, but Green Left has a lot of great coverage on, uh, the rising tide blockade. So for those who weren't able to make it this weekend, uh, we've got some really good photos up Mm. on the Green Left website. We've also got some news articles, some vox pops and some videos, um, on some of our, across some of our social media. So yeah, for those who, uh, weren't able to make it. You can get a good sense of what the blockade was like. Um, but now it's actually 8 a.m. and so it's sort of time for the Green Left activist calendar. So I was going to pass mm. it on to Chloe to uh, take this on.
3: Well, today is Friday, December the first. So happy December the first! Today at 5 p.m., there's going to be a solidarity action with Bangladesh garment workers outside Kmart Centre at 222. Burke Street in the city and you can find out more details on Facebook. There's also going to be a vigil run by healthcare workers for Palestine at 6pm at the Steps of Parliament on Spring Street in Melbourne City. There's also going to be a, a concert um, called Blacktivism 7pm tonight at the Arts Centre in Southbank. Tomorrow, Saturday, December the 2nd, there's going to be a protest in the northern suburbs who, are call, who have called a rally for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. Um, that's going to be at 10.30 a.m. Bell Street Reserve, um, cor- corner of Bell Street and Sydney Road. I thought it was outside Peter Khalil's... I thought we were meeting outside Peter Khalil's office. Is that a mistake?
0: Oh, that's oh no, that's a mistake. It's it's, yeah. out, it's outside Peter Khalil's office. Yeah,
3: yeah sorry about that. Um, Yeah, so Peterkill's office, I think, is from memory 466 Sydney Road, but just just check that. Um,
0: I mean, if you end up at the wrong location, uh, just go just go if you go if you just go south from where you are, you'll see you'll see where the protest is because that's how close it (laughs) is.
3: 466 (laughs) Sydney Road, yeah uh then and there's also um it it, it also at 10:30 there's going to be a blockade um at the port of Melbourne no Israeli ships at port Melbourne um at the Swanston uh, dock so um yeah we encourage people to try to make it to either rally
0: um, there's also another event that's actually happening at the same, um, a bit after the same time. There's actually going to be uh, a fundraiser, a piece for Palestine by the Australian Syrian Cultural Association, um, which will feature speakers from APAN Food, kids activities, market stores, and an opportunity to connect with as a community. So it's going to be happening at 283 Albert Street in Brunswick on Saturday, the 2nd of December. So yeah, that right. could, would be quite a good event to go to.
3: Yeah, definitely on Sunday, December the 3rd, there's going to be a rally. Um, This is the mass rally that we've been having every week. Lift the siege of Gaza, stop the genocide, end the occupation. It's always, same time, 12 noon, the State Library, Swanson Street, the city. Wednesday, December 6th to Sunday, December 17th, there's going to be a theatre show, Surat Surat Naya at La Mama HQ 205 Faraday Street in Carlton. Between Friday December 8th and Sunday December 10th, there's a solidarity gathering. Multinationals Out Catalyst at the Catalyst Social Centre at 146 Sydney Road, Coburg. On Friday December the 8th, there's going to be. Is this is a. Co- um, it's a. Um, concert. Yeah, sorry, performing. Um, so no fixed address. It's performing at 8 p.m. at the Tote Hotel, 67 to 71 Johnston Street in Collingwood, and there's more information their Facebook page. Saturday, December the 9th, there's going to be, we just spoke about it with Sue, um, Marybeth Councilor, Social Councilor Sue Bolton. Rally, housing is a human right um, as part of a National Day of Action. It is at 1 p.m. at the State Library, Swanson Street in the city. And there was going to be another Human Rights Day rally, uh, Refugee Day rally, and Fast Track for Refugees Permanent Visas for All, but that that rally has been cancelled. So, yeah, please um, check out um, the Refugee Action Collectives for further information on future events, because I think we're going to do a forum um, soon. There's also a book launch Knocking the Top Off, A People's History of Alcohol in Australia at 4pm at the Curtain Ligon Street in Carlton On Sunday, December the 10th, there's going to be a rally to stop Israel's war on Gaza and the occupation for Palestine This is again the um, the regular the, the rally that we're having every, every single Sunday until um, those demands are met Um, and that's at State Library. Monday, December the 11th, there's going to be a forum, the High Court decision on indefinite detention and the racist backlash. That is at uh, 6.30 p.m. at the Kathleen Slime Library and Community Centre, 251 Faraday Street, Carlton. And I think that is the one that's actually been... Yeah, that is the one that's been run by the Refugee Action Collective, so, yeah, instead of the, the rally. Sa- Saturday, December the 16th, there's going to be a celebration, um, Save Preston Market Community Festive Lunch at 11 a.m. In Prest- at the Preston F- Market Food Court. And I think that's we've come to the en- end of the calendar. Was there anything else that we've missed? If, if, there, if you find that we have missed something, please uh, call the studio and let us know.
0: Yep. Or you can just um send uh send an email to um uh, send an email to my email which is Jacob A at greenleft.org.au. Um because actually for a lot of these events we're trying to get them also up on our online Green Left Activist calendar. Mm-hmm. So we generally try to have as many of the events um on our online calendar that's um regularly kind of updated. Um so yeah. Anyway, I thought it would actually be before we go into our interview, we might I um, might be a good opportunity to play a song. So I was going to play, um, what, I was going to play, let's see, what was the song I was going to play? Um, I was going to play How You Know Peace, um, by Time, who is a US based, um, rapper. And, um, yeah, this is also part of, uh, the 10, um, protest albums that, uh, Matt Ward has written about on his recent, uh, column.
3: Uh, yeah.
0: Oh, you had something to
3: add? Oh sorry, no, no, keep going with the introduction of the song.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well that's up uh, that's all I had to sort of add about that. So Yeah, yeah. well
3: just stay tuned after the song because we're gonna have our third and last interview. Um uh, we're speaking to Fatima, who's a Malay Muslim woman, who is also at the climate blockade. Um we're gonna be talking to her about some of the connections between fighting for climate justice and standing up for Palestine. So, um yeah, stay tuned for that interview and enjoy the song.
5: I just called. I, I just called to say. How you, know How, you know How, you know How you know peace? 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 How? Out of mind, in the center still. Burn a the touch, let me tears to spill. Give me something to hold. You say you will. I just overflowed. I saw it wasn't dead. Just me and us. Trust me, you and them. Got more to give, spend but never own. Carry me home, carry me home. Out of mind, not a place. Pleasure say, folding game. When you know it, might not quote it. When you looking for a reason. Deepest darks, inside parts beloved. Get your shit wide covered. Numbers in the dream book, hyperlink. Fly a kite for me. Hiding right where she like, that's a life for me. Starts the sky, kicking clouds in that church, living purple. For kings and whores, life carpet more, bargain forward. How you know peace? 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 How you no peace? How you peace? Peace. How you know peace? 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 How? Read a book, spiral through a portal. How you know peace? Sipping green tea, split a cipher with the tree. How you know peace? Bass resonating through me like waves at the venue. I don't fuck with bad energy, yes I meant to offend you. We didn't miss each other, I ignored you, yes I meant you. Fake friends, serve 'em up on the car I'm the menu. I made my home a sanctuary, ritual, light a candle, banishing parasitic entities, mode that bite on the mantle, cooking a meal for. Friends, toast the to cumin on the skillet, chopping up with lino peppers, marinate them, they relics Cooking s'mores from a burning cop car, that brings me joy. Another landlord going unemployed, that brings me joy. Guru in my headphones, playing basketball at the park. Finding light in the stars, helps me navigate the dark. Orcas tipping yaps, eat the rich, that's the plot. I'm singing to the seeds till I harvest the squash. How you know peace? 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 How you no peace? How you know peace? How you know peace? Are you no peace? How you no peace? How you know peace? How you peace? How you no peace? How you know peace? How you know peace? How you no peace? How you know peace? How you know peace? Are you no peace? How you know peace? How?
3: You are back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, and you were just listening to How You Know Peace by Time, uh, a US-based rapper. And now we are really happy to have Fahima on the line with us. Fahima is a Malay Muslim woman living on the unceded lands of the Bidigal people, Bidigal people in the south in southeast Sydney. Uh, She's a registered architect and is currently working as a climate organiser with Move Beyond Coal, which is a movement that aims to phase out Australian coal exports by 2030. Welcome to the show, Fahima.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, good. Um, thanks for being here. Um, now, Fahima, we, we actually met you at the Rising Tide um, event, <laughs> a blockade over the weekend, so it was really great to, to meet you and, and so many other climate campaigners there. And as a climate campaigner, uh, we wanted to ask why you think it's important that people who support climate justice also stand up for Palestine. I mean, why why do you think there are the, connect, the connections between fighting for climate justice and standing up for Palestine?
1: Yeah, um, really great question. And I think to, to sum it up in a soundbite that I hope will we'll sort of like stay with people and to resonate with them, or maybe we can see, start seeing this at um, both climate rallies and a free Palestine rally, I'd say that climate justice is human rights. Um, so what I mean by this is, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example Um, During the Voice to Parliament campaign, 43 climate organisations signed on to an open letter saying that the climate movement supports the right of Indigenous people to have a strong say in what happens on their country. And by saying this, we recognise the millennia of expertise in land management and protecting water, and we also form alliances with mob who are putting up fierce resistance against fossil fuel extraction on country. And this shows to me that the climate movement understands that the human rights of Indigenous peoples matter and supporting self-determination is a part of the solution for a safe climate. Um, But I think what I'm not seeing is this kind of um, understanding and solidarity being expanded to The Palestinian cause and not just the Palestinian cause, um, you know, I'm I'm thinking also about, you know, Oyo Muslims, um, in East Turkestan. And I think on Palestine in particular, the climate leadership has been largely silent on the struggles, um, of, of Palestine and fencing the issue as scope creep or limiting what volunteers and staff can say about Palestine. But, We kind of understand that the climate crisis is linked to every other injustice and systems of power. And we know that where there is injustice committed against people, the climate crisis exacerbated it. And if we want to be a climate justice movement, not just climate action movement, we need to stand in solidarity with the struggles for justice and liberation across the globe, particularly in the global south, because these The global majority have done the least to cause the climate crisis, but, you know, we are copying it first, we are copying it hard. And we know that climate justice takes a people-centred approach, and it's not just emissions reductions and installing wind turbines and solar panels. We have to create a future of of a just world with long-lasting peace. So that's why... um, I say at the top that climate justice is a human rights issue. And to achieve this, to avert the climate crisis and uphold human rights, it will only happen through a broad global coalition that demands actions from our government and and corporations and civil um, institutions to do better. Um, Australia, shamefully, is one of a handful of countries not calling for a ceasefire. And we have for a long time handed Israel a diplomatic blank check to do whatever it wants um, uh, to Palestinian people and um, providing that immunity. So I'm seeing that this is causing fractures in um, the climate movement. And we need to be able to talk about this in terms of like how we kind of like keep the movement together because this is, It's a difficult issue for so many people, and the hurt is real. But we can't solve the climate crisis without solving the injustices on on people everywhere. And there's also like a strategic rationale to this, because we've seen kind of vast sections of society really activated and mobilized um, for a free Palestine um, tens of thousands of people march every week throughout Australia, and the climate movement says that it wants to diversify. It um, it, it, it recognizes that its movement is largely middle class, educated, older, and white, and what kind of like scratching their heads. Oh, where are people of color? Um, where are Muslims? Um, where are people kind of in Western Sydney? And and you can see that. Palestine is an issue that a lot of these people mobilise around. So we need to sort of tap into that conversation. We need to start building solidarity and connections with all these issues because I think when we have that strong network of allies, we can actually achieve really great things. Um, Yeah.
0: Well, thanks. I think that... Sorry I forgot to turn on my microphone. Um yeah, that's a, I think that's a great response to um to to the question we kind of asked. And I guess our kind of next question you were going to sort of ask. I mean, you've kind of answered some of it already in your response to the kind of first question. But I guess one comment I just want to make is um I guess we're all part of a, of a Palestine float on the water, the rising tide blockade and we also there was also we also took kind of an action um, and of course we tried to um, we try to frame it around um this kind of slogan that um yeah, I think Greta Thunberg, but I think someone else also came in, but Greta Thunberg had been popularising it at a recent, um, client protest, which is no climate justice on occupied land. And I guess one of the things that has kind of happened around that has there, there has been a kind of bit of a backlash. I read this very long, long-winded article, which wasn't very good. It was a very bad article, actually, but it was basically attack and launched this big attack on Greta Thunberg for even supporting, um, Palestine. And they basically, the, the the article basically made this argument that you know Greta Thunberg is splitting the client movement and um and of course but of course this was an argument that was sort of framed around supporting Israel at the end of the day um but of course there's a lot of people there's probably a lot of people in the client movement who are sort of trying to make these arguments that you know the two issues have uh, nothing in common and um, fighting for Palestine is a kind of distraction from the more important issue of the client emergency and I guess. I mean, from a as a climate campaign, I mean, how would you sort of strategically respond to those comments? And I guess I also want to hear your comments on, you know, what are some of the initiatives that we can take uh, as climate campaigners and campaigners for Palestine that can actually naturally link the issue together? And of course, that was one of the that's why I think we try to we try to take that initiative at the rising tide blockade to kind of link the issue kind of together. Yeah, um, the Palestinian
1: flotilla was. One of my favorite, favorite parts of the weekend. So I'm, I'm really happy to be able to stand or float in solidarity with you all on the water. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the climate crisis. And so we, we can't talk about the climate crisis without talking about emissions of greenhouse gases. So, um, a couple of engineers from Jordan have done initial estimates, um, about the carbon footprint of, um, this, War. So the emissions from IDF, um, the Israeli Defense Forces' active warfare since the war started um, uh, in early October, is um, 60 million tons of CO2 equivalent in just the first month of the war. You can contrast that with Israel's reported emissions for the whole of 2021, is 54 million tons. Like, that number just sort of, like, makes my mind spin. And if Israel continues its assault on Palestine well into the next year, the emissions from active war fighting is estimated to go up to over 600 million tons of CO2 um, equivalent. And this is similar to emissions of a large industrial nation like Germany. So while military emissions are not included in countries' reporting of emissions, War fighting is still releasing climate pollutants into the atmosphere. So for me, this brings up the very real barrier that we face right now in working towards a decarbonized world where significant military and warfare, warfare emissions are unaccounted for. So when you think about it from this frame, I really think that waging peace is climate work. And then, um, there's also the second issue of resource control. Um, At the end of October, just weeks after declaring a complete siege and blockade on Gaza, Israel awarded 12 licenses to six companies, including BP and ENI, for natural gas exploration off the Mediterranean coast. And meanwhile, under blockade conditions, under occupation, Palestinians are restricted to waters within 20 nautical miles of the coast, and they have been um, prevented from developing natural resources Um, within their own waters. And I mentioned um, the Uyghur people at the start of uh, my segment, right? Um, While the discourse in the past month has centered around Palestine, we know that similar state sanctioned violence is being perpetuated on 11.8 million Uyghur Muslims in Turkestan by the Chinese government. East Turkestan is a large coal, gas and minerals producing region that's controlled by the Chinese government um, and putting Uyghur Muslims under um, basically apartheid conditions. So we need to make this connection between sort of occupation, land rights, self-determination and keeping fossil fuels in the ground. Um, it's a very, very tricky, very complex question, but... Um, This is a huge issue. Um, So you have another question about, you know, what we can do. Um, I'd like to talk now about Adani. So the climate movement in Australia knows Adani through the Stop Adani movement. Um, But for people who don't, um, Adani is uh, an Indian um, multinational, um, you know, company, um, very, very influential, very, very wealthy, and they have opened up the Galilee Basin in central Queensland for... um, coal mining on the sacred lands of the Wangan and Jangaligu people. And the climate movement, this is probably the most notorious um, sort of, I guess, figure within the climate movement right now. And we are making that connection that coal dug up on WNJ's land is kind of being exported to India, where Adani is displacing villages and indigenous peoples there, for a land grab to build coal power plant that will kill people from air pollution and exacerbating the climate crisis. Um, But Adani is also complicit in um, weapons business with Israel. Um, It is a major shareholder in um, PLR systems that stands for precise, lethal and reliable And and the other 49% of it is owned by um, Israeli defense manufacturer, IWI. Um, So there is a connection here between corporations that we know that are exploiting fossil fuel reserves here are also using their wealth, using their um, resources to develop weapons that are killing Palestinians. Um, There is a digital action just launched last night um, from, Stop Adani, um, from Stop Adani, so you can go to stopadani.com and um, take action because we are calling out Australia's biggest super funds that are still investing in Adani. So I guess this is one way that our climate movement is intersecting with the boycott, divest and sanction movement. And we are calling out our own superannuation fund to divest from Adani, divest from coal, divest from weapons. Um, I can share you the link um, if that's useful to your
3: listeners. Yeah, that'll be great. We'll share the link um, to that in our show notes. And we are about to wrap up the show, Fahima. It's been really great having you on and thank you for talking a bit about Adani too and their support of Israel. Um, I attended the webinar last night that you facilitated, um, organized by the Muslim Collective where you are a co-president. And that webinar for listeners was on... The, on Solidarity with Palestine Land and Climate Justice. And it, it was great. I did have to leave a bit early, but I did get to hear most of the speakers on the panel, which they were really informative. Um, Some of them were artists, truth-tellers, climate lawyers and campaigners, and they gave a deeper understanding for the need for intersectional justice, for a safe climate and peaceful future. So thank you for organising that one. And just before we wrap up the show, Fahima, did you have any final comments that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I think um, even... I I like to say this to climate organizers and to Muslims who are kind of like motivated to take action on anything, you don't, you really don't have to do everything yourself. You don't have to sense yourself around things and putting barriers around issues because they are connected. So even if you can't put a lot of time, a lot of your organizational resources behind supporting other justice-based issues, at least be open to keep talking and to keep listening and to keep learning about this all because, you know, you never know what conversations you have with somebody that could change their minds and open their heart. And I I think about shared liberation, right? Like we are not free until we are all free. So please don't sort of fence your issues. Please, please, please keep thinking and talking about how everything is connected.
0: Hi, right, Well, thank you very much, Fahima. And I think it's been, yeah, been a very informative um, interview and I hope our listeners enjoyed it.
1: No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me.
3: Thanks, Fahima. And you were just listening to Fahim, Fahima, who is also the co-president of the Muslim Collective and cl- uh, climate organiser with Move Beyond Coal. Um, and, yeah, it was really great having her on the show and being part of that Palestinian, um, float at, at rising tide.
0: All right. Now we're getting into the end of our program. Um, I just want to kind of end the program by saying that, you know, um, if you've enjoyed, you know, what you've listened to, um, I just also want to thank all our guests who have been on our program and we'll, we'll make sure, um, I think, you know, I just want to make a case that, you know, if you support the work that we're doing, consider becoming a Green Left, um, supporter. And of course, Green Left is very much a vital kind of social change pro project, you know, aims to kind of build the r- movements of resistance against all injustices that are uh, incurred under cap, um, capitalism. And of course, it's very, it's a very consistent supporter of the pal- of Palestine as well. And, you know, um, but of course, um, to fund, uh, to fund our project, it's, uh, we rely on the generous support of our supporters. So yeah, if you, consider becoming a supporter of Green Left by going on a website at greenleft.org.au forward slash support.
3: Yeah, please support our work uh, if you want to see it continue. And also, if you aren't already, please become a subscriber of 3CR. 3CR has always been a supporter of Palestine and has always stood uh, with Palestine. So uh, keep listening, but also uh, please become a subscriber too. We'll catch you next week.
1: This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit.
0: If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au/slash support or free call 1 800 634 206. Arise, you workers from your
5: slumbers, arise, you prisoners of want. Reason in revolt now thunders, and it last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions, servile masses, arise! Rise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition, and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the, the commies are back, threads underneath your beds and that
2: crap.